We're speaking with Justin Fellows, my therapist, all-round good guy, and he's been over a decade in the industry of fitness, health, and myotherapy. Welcome, Justin. Hey, Carly. Thanks for having me. No, you're very welcome. It's so great to have you. So, Justin, I wanted to ask you, there's two parts to this question, I guess. What is myotherapy and why would I come to see you over my physio, osteo, or chiro? For sure. Look, it's um, it's a great question. It's one of the most common questions I get in the clinic. Actually, is is why would they see me versus somebody else? But let's bring it back to that first part there. So, look straight out of the uh, the old textbook, the myotherapy essentially it's evidence based assessment, treatment, and rehab of musculoskeletal pain or associated conditions. Essentially, it's a form of physical therapy based on uh, massage based massage based therapy used to prevent and treat soft tissue injuries joint restrictions and other musculoskeletal issues caused by muscles or myofascial dysfunction. And there's a lot of a lot of words there, a lot of content there. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, it's a, it's a massage-based form of, of treatment for soft tissue injuries, essentially. Okay. Um, so a, a question I have and instantly I heard fascial. I can't even say mm. that. Is that fascial, facial? Uh, look, uh, there's uh, however you want to say it. <laughs> uh, there's schools of thought, and I've been taught both ways over the last decade, but facial, fascial, however you want to say it, um, I go with fascial. Okay. Um, so what is that? Uh, yeah. So as a myo, we work with two things a lot of the time, and that's your muscles and your fascia. So muscles, obviously, we know what they are. The fascia is kind of the glue that holds it all together. When we're doing our treatments, we work obviously through palpation of that skin and then followed by the skin is that fascia before you got to get to the muscles. And it's a, it's a different kind of sensation when you treat it. There's a fascia, it's the glue that holds everything together essentially. So as a myotherapist, we try to work with that, that glue uh, to work through that and lengthen that to make sure your tissues, your muscle underneath can perform and move more freely. I'm a yoga teacher. So fascia is something that we were taught about in that it builds hourly. Like it's something that is there all the time. And as it builds, if it's not moved and manipulated, it becomes like concrete. Is that correct? 100%. I look at it like it's almost like a cement. And again, yeah, if you're not treating it, you're not moving it, eventually it'll slowly just build up and then you can't move it. Um, very similar to how scar tissue would be. I look at it like a very scar tissue-ish. Um, it's different, obviously, but it's very similar in the sense that without that movement, eventually it'll harden and then the range of motion becomes really, really challenging and it's harder to break down. So movement and obviously movement through yoga, through other forms of exercise and obviously myotherapy and massage, super important to um, keep the happiness of your fascia. Wow. Yeah, so it can become painful because my mum had – it was on her feet, plantar fasciitis. Mm-hmm. So she was told that she needed electric shock therapy to make the fascia move. Because the bottom of the feet, because we don't move it so much, is that why it sort of builds up around that area? Plantar fasciitis is a tricky one and super, super common. It can come down to a lot of things. It can be biomechanical disorders, structural issues with the foot, with the knee, with the hips. Um, there can be a lot contributing to it. But certainly inactivity is one of the massive things that can, can cause issues down there. And unfortunately for your mum and everybody else, it's it's very painful to treat. <laughs> yeah. So I also have an issue. My dad's got Parkinson's. So he's got issues in not moving very much at all because he's in pain in his hip, sciatic nerve, mm-hmm. lower back. So mm-hmm. I keep telling him he needs to move 
through the pain. What would your advice be for people that have pain that don't do any movement? Look, I mean, it does come down to what you just said, then any form of movement is going to be a great thing. Uh, but looking at extra modalities where he can almost emulate movement without having movement himself. So again, a third party like yourself or myself or anyone in the practitioner world where they can uh, they can treat that person. So again, if you look at a myotherapist, our job is to lengthen a tissue. So that person can stay pretty uh, immobile. They can be in a chair, a table, whatever it might be, and someone can lengthen that tissue for them. But obviously the number one thing and the easiest thing to do, depending on their restrictions, would be up out of that chair and get moving in some way. So again, whether it's someone treating them in the inability they have, or again, maybe potentially using aids, um, you know, walking frames, those kinds of things to help. But if they can get moving, that's obviously the number one priority there. Do you treat chronic conditions or is it mainly, I know you treat people that are big, muscly dudes, you know, look really good, but do you also treat people with (laughs) chronic conditions? Look, I'd say um, the muscly dudes is actually a very small percentage of the people that come through my <laughs> clinic doors. Um, most people I see is is nothing fancy. It's your everyday person with issues. We've all got issues and we've all got various reasons as to why. But certainly, it's it's every single person. Chronic conditions, definitely. Um, I would say we have a great portion, of, you know, 50-50 split of acute and chronic. My therapy can be amazing in treating short-term issues, but also the management of long-term chronic issues. Uh, spanning over uh, many, many different things. So the aim really, though, is to be pain-free. Yeah, for sure. The aim is is definitely to be pain-free, but I try to instill with my clients, similar to the fitness world, the yoga world, everything takes time um, and they have to have a, a reasonable expectation of their treatment and their treatment outcomes. I think it's really important in the initial uh, first few consultations to to set a treatment plan in place and give a really realistic expectation of, how long things may take to achieve and what's expected of them as well as myself. So their take-home plan, their own stretching, their own diet, their own fitness requirements, which myself as a practitioner expect them to do outside of the time on my table, which as you would know, people aren't amazing at doing. No, me neither. <laughs> uh, <laughs> look, none of us are. Um, we're all humans, but I think um, we obviously want everyone to be pain-free, but it's very difficult in the, in the lifestyle that we live. So part of your treatment is not just being on the table and treating through the myotherapy experience, but also the take-home plan. So can you tell me a bit more about that? A lot of what we do is on the table, but so much of what we do is outside of our table. Um, even my most regular clients, I may see once, if not you know, at the very acute issues, maybe twice a week. Other than that, that's one hour a day, uh, one hour a week, sorry, out of a, many hours throughout the entire week. So what people are doing outside of the hours they see myself are really, really important. Normally, I would prescribe every single person with some form of dietary advice, definitely an exercise or stretch program. So that might be strengthening or stretching, normally a combination of both, depending on their level of fitness, their expertise, what equipment they may have at home. And then also just a basic lifestyle change. So just looking at little things here and there. So it comes down to a lot of different things. Postural, obviously, is the biggest thing in our world, looking at postures, looking at postural changes and doing what we can from a therapist's point of view to make sure they're making those changes outside of the hours they're on my table. So it's really a whole mindset change. So it's not just coming to you with the pain, fix me. It's, it's a whole lifestyle approach that they need to absorb. 
Very much so. I, I like to think that we look at it with a holistic approach and rather than people come in, and it is about education. If someone comes in and goes, I've got a sore neck, go, great, we're going to treat your neck, but I want you to do X, Y, and Z to ensure that you don't have to see me ever again for this neck discomfort. You know, contrary to what some people may think, a good practitioner should be educating you rather than treating you every single week and for the rest of your life. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that makes total sense. In terms of how you treat on the table, so I had a look at your website, so www.melbmyo.com.au. So you've got cupping, dry needling. So what is dry needling? Because I'm like, is it acupuncture? Is it just chucking the needles in, the muscle? I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, again, pretty good question. It's something we get every day. It, it does look like it is acupuncture. So we use the, the same needles, but it's a very different application. A myotherapist traditionally will use the acupuncture needles in a dry needling application to put that needle directly into the muscle. So we're looking for a very, very different response rather than very superficial like the acupuncture therapist might use. Our needles go a lot deeper into that muscle belly to initiate a response to reduce inflammation and work through what's called your trigger points or your knots. So everyone's experiencing these knots in their muscles. Sometimes I can push pretty hard with my thumbs, my knuckles, my elbow to get into these knots. Other times I might use a dry needle to rather than palpate and push pretty hard, I'll bypass all those superficial things and go straight into that muscle belly with my dry needle and, uh, and look for a, a treatment response there. Beautiful. I've had dry needling done and it hurt, but it's supposed <laughs> to be good for you. I was going to say, sometimes it will hurt. Sometimes it should feel like nothing. <laughs> okay. Just depends on how you, maybe how you're tense you are before they push it in. I've got a bit of a needle phobia, so <laughs> that could be why. Potentially. Potentially. The other thing I wanted to ask about is what else do you do? So dry needling is an option, massage. Have you got other options that you use for people on the table? Yeah, sometimes I might use a TENS machine or an EMS machine. It's more of an electric approach to simulate muscles. Mm -hmm. um, but one I use pretty much every single time will definitely be the cupping. Cupping, again, it's a really great tool that we can use to work through fascia and withdraw things out of that muscle. So your, your, your muscle's full of a lot of things, obviously blood, oxygen, this byproduct and the waste that sits within a muscle. The cupping itself will actually use through negative pressure, withdraws it out of that muscle, brings it to the surface of the body where the lymphatics are, so your body's waste system, and then encourages the body to essentially move that waste out of your body quicker. So I'll use cupping for most of my treatments. I'll be working on one area of the body and I'll have cups working on another area of the body. So essentially it's like having four pairs of, or two pairs of hands down there. So you've got four, four hands working at all times. That's phenomenal. That's just made me think, can you do that with the liver? Do you do that with organs as well? Say there's organ pain on the right side below the right ribs where the liver is. Would you use cupping? Uh, it's probably a little out of my scope. Right. Potentially, potentially you can do it with a traditional Chinese medicine therapist. Potentially there's some, there's some scope to do that. As a myotherapist, um, it's a little out of my scope, yeah. Yeah, no, sorry, I got distracted. No, it's a good question. <laughs> I'm coming back to stretching. So stretching, everyone says stretching is important, but I know a lot of people that would just go for their run, go, done, not stretching now, or do weights, not stretching. <clears throat> mm -hmm. And some of my yoga students will admit they'll do a workout and then come and do yoga to stretch. Yep. Why is stretching so important? Well, I'll probably take your advice on this one. You're the expert in, uh, in this field. <laughs> <laughs> but certainly in, when I talk to my 
the people that I, I deal with on the table or through the gym avenues, I think it's important to stretch before and after. And the reasons I'll normally say is before activity, obviously you want to lengthen that tissue, make sure it's warm and make sure it's ready for the activity. The last thing you want to do is, uh, you know, not warm up the hamstrings, then go kick a footy and stretch your body as far as that hamstring can go. Cause obviously you potentially have a higher rate of, of, uh, of tearing it or doing some kind of damage. So getting that muscle, that tissue lengthened and ready for the experience of the activity it's about to do is super, super important. Then the flip side is obviously after exercise, if you've done, let's say a, a weight program, you're doing something where you're shortening that muscle and you're doing it under load for a portion of time. At the end of that activity, that muscle in theory should be shortened. So what we want to do is lengthen that tissue and lengthen that tissue obviously increases your range of motion. It increases blood flow. It increases all the avenues for uh, recovery and it helps you on your, on your merry way uh, versus 99% of people don't want to do that <laughs> and they're limiting their own potential, unfortunately. That is such a good description. I love that. Thank you. Um, something else that's come up that I heard of the other day, DOMS. It sounds like some sort of food. What's DOMS? DOMS, yeah. So DOMS means delayed onset muscle soreness. Now, everyone that's had a really solid session in the gym should feel this. <laughs> Sometimes if you've gone for a nice run outside, if you haven't for a long period of time, your legs are going to feel sore. Um, so essentially when you have that soreness, soreness essentially the scientific way is is DOMS. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I know that some people have it like two or three days after they exercise. Is that usual? It can be. It can be a sign of either you've pushed really, really hard or your body's potentially unconditioned or you may not have hydrated or recovered as best you could following that session. Right. There's various reasons that people will get DOMS. A lot of the time, if you're an experienced athlete or if you're conditioned very, very well, you might not experience as many DOMS until you start doing a different form of activity or exercise. Uh, but everyone should be working hard and always feeling DOMS. <laughs> <laughs> but if you don't feel it, it doesn't mean you haven't had a good workout. <laughs> We're speaking with Justin Fellows about all things myotherapy and fitness, and we'll be back after the break. We're speaking with Justin Fellows, all-round good guy and myotherapist. Welcome back, Justin. Thanks for having me. No worries. I would like to ask you, what about your lifestyle? You sound like a cheery person. I know you're very smiley. What about your lifestyle? How are you incorporating all this stuff, stretching, diet? Do you use supplements? Yeah, well, I, I like to think I'm, I'm pretty bubbly. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, working in the health and fitness industry, you know, obviously I'm a massive advocate for it. I think um, I consider myself pretty lucky to be here for the last 15 years working in various avenues, but it's a fantastic industry. I mean, who doesn't love going to the gym? <laughs> You're always feeling good. It's um, it's a great industry. So I'm pretty blessed that, uh, that I work in this field. Um, personally though, look, I, I love to train. I love to stretch. I'm one of those weirdos. I think stretching actually feels nice. I think it's enjoyable. <laughs> <laughs> so stretching and training is second nature to myself, you know, growing up playing various sports, basketball and tennis and running and all that. It's all second nature. So for me, if I say I'm a fitness person for sure, it's all just second nature to myself that it's what you do. Um, I know that's not natural for everyone and it can be a bit more challenging, Certainly the surroundings I grew up in, in the family sense that I grew up in, we were, fitness was normal and this is what you did do. So if I wasn't to do it now, especially during this ISO time, things are changing. It's a little more challenging, but uh, yeah, it's, it's second nature. I love, I love fitness. How are you going during ISO? 
it's challenging. It's definitely different. Uh, I think the biggest things uh, for myself is, and look, take this, take this on board if you'd like to or not, but it's certainly sticking with some kind of routine. I think mm-hmm. it's really important through this time to get up at a similar time. You might normally get up. Obviously, your workout routine might be a little different, but try to find something that you can adapt to and still do from home. I'm a little bit fortunate. I've got a bit of space in my backyard. I've got a basketball hoop out the back. I've got space inside the house to train. So myself and my partner, we're pretty good at being diligent with ourselves and and doing a workout every single day. Um, Like I said, keeping that routine of some sort is really, really important. I mean, you know, with the fitness world and workouts, routine is everything. So not breaking that is really important over this time. Yeah, I think I'm really struggling with routine and not having the structure of to teach at this time, to teach at this time as a yoga teacher. So, yes. So how have you been finding the diet part of it? Have you been finding that it's been challenging because you're home all the time or are you finding that that's pretty measured? Uh, Let's say it's pretty measured (laughs) (laughs) Um, with its faults, obviously. (laughs) Let's say ISO round one was more of a holiday. It was a bit more trivial. You're home all the time. You went to the fridge a fair bit. You went to the cupboard even more. It was easy to break that routine. But again, probably because it is second nature for myself, it was also easy to break that. And I know that can be challenging for other people. Obviously, saying no to yourself is really hard, especially when it's two foot away at all times of the day. But again, it comes back to that routine. Um, If I wasn't at at work eating at two, three, four, five, and six, why would I do that at home? So for me, it was easy to break that routine and go back to breakfast, lunch, and tea with the occasional snacks. You know, it wasn't... uh, It wasn't a hard one to break for me, luckily. Oh, you're so good. Doritos suck me in today. So (laughs) I can understand that. (laughs) So now supplements. I'm really interested in supplements. What does a general person need to have to be healthy? I'm a vegetarian vegan. I switch backwards and forwards. And I'm not taking any supplements at the moment. I know my iron levels have been low, but what would you generally recommend for a, a general person? Yeah, I had this chat with another practitioner just a couple of days ago, and I'd love to sound excited with heaps of different things, but I'm pretty boring. For me, it comes down to normal foods and whole foods. I think you can get majority or if not everything you need from those whole foods. The only things I would sometimes, I'd say cheat with quotations there, um, potentially would be proteins. Obviously, if we're looking at muscle growth, and especially sometimes with vegans, you know, potentially you might not be getting enough of that protein in there. Yep. So if you can supplement with even just a clean, healthy protein, that could be one thing I'd, I'd throw into the diet if you think you're running a little bit low. Something else that I think is an easy one as well to maybe not get the right amount is your greens. And another one you can easily supplement into that protein shake. You can chuck a spoonful of your, you can get like a vital green, something like that, which will essentially emulate all the greens you might not be getting in your diet. I'm not sure what the daily recommended intake now on something like that is, but I'm sure it's through the roof and I'm sure none of us are doing it right. So the two subs that I go for, um, they're cheap, they're pretty clean, they're pretty easy as long as you don't get sucked into crazy marketing ploys, just proteins and and greens. Yeah, because when we were at the gym and you were the manager of the gym and I was the yoga teacher there, I know – a lot of people would get the pre-workout and the post-workout. Now, is that something that I should look into as doing yoga or is that specific to building muscle and getting that bulk look? I think it comes down to a lot of what you want to get out of your training and certainly what your expectations are. I wouldn't think either are necessary. Again, you're pretty cheerful and bubbly and full of energy yourself. I don't think pre-workout is something that you ever need to have. <laughs> 
Um, if you can naturally get up out of bed and do your thing, maybe with a cup of coffee, I wouldn't stress about the pre-workouts. The long-term damage of whatever's inside those crazy chemicals, I'm not sure what they are. Yep. And I'm sure no one really does. Yep. But um, if we talk about the roller coaster ride that you have when you're on them, you, you peak like crazy. And then traditionally, you crash a fair bit too. So it's never a good sign for what's happening within our bodies. I would certainly say that for yourself and and people similar to yourself and looking for a, a similar outcome to yourself, I would stay away from majority of what that is, yeah. Yeah, no, that's really interesting because it sounds like there'd be caffeine or something in there and I know one of my friends – you're only meant to have it for a period of time that she was the one that she was on and she was on a high for months. And then when she stopped, she went vroom down. Yeah. So. yeah, I mean, the caffeine through those, it's like having eight cups of, eight, eight cups of coffee in one go. It's, it's through the roof. Holy moly. It's crazy, yeah. It is crazy. Well, yeah. thank you so much, Justin. Is there a way for people to contact you through the website so that they can make appointments with you during this time of COVID? Yeah, for sure. Look, on the website there, there is a contact page. Certainly, I'd encourage anyone to hit me up, have a chat. Um, telehealth is completely free for the month of August anyway. So I definitely encourage people if they've got health or fitness issues, concerns, questions, stretches they might like, home exercise programs they might like, any of the above, definitely touch base, drop me a line. I'd be more than happy to have a chat and help out where I can. Awesome. So Justin, all round superstar for fitness. If you need anything, he's also doing telehealth free for August. That's impressive at www.melbmyo.com.au. That's M-E-L-B-M-Y-O.com.au. Thank you so much, Justin, to have your bubbly personality on the radio today. I hope you have an awesome rest of the day. Thanks so much, Kylie. Really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. No worries. Thanks, Justin. See ya. And we'll be back right after this break. 